friends, Uncle Marv here with another episode of the IT Business Podcast presented by NetAlly. This show is for managed service providers and IT professionals where we help you learn how to protect and serve your clients' networks better, smarter, and faster. This is the weekly Wednesday live show, and I am joined by the Michael Jordan of the channel, the Oprah of the airwaves, the incomparable Rob Ray with Pax8. Rob, how are you? I'm awesome. Thank you very much, Mark. It's an <laughs> honor to be in the same realm as Michael Jordan and Oprah Winfrey. I think that's a little exaggerated. Thank you. Yeah, it is. But hey, what was uh, probably the biggest thing happening in November and December of 2022, then the entire tech industry waiting to find out where does Rob Ray go? It was lots of really cool speculation. I heard a lot of the rumors too. It was kind of neat to see some of the rumors going around. I was thinking, you know, it'd be kind of cool. We were joking around uh, one night about uh, doing kind of like the decision like LeBron did and having like, you know, the hats out with all the different vendors on it and then finally selecting one and putting it on. But that sounded like a really like a old thing to do. So we decided not to do it. <laughs> you know what you could have done? You could have brought together a whole bunch of your favorite MSPs and had yeah. them in the audience. <laughs> and yeah. you could have, yeah. could have had all the banners up of all the vendors. <laughs> yeah. That's uh, way too egotistical for me. That's for sure. Oh, uh, way fun. Too arrogant. Yeah. Now, for those who do not know, Rob Ray is now the Corporate Vice President of Communities and Ecosystems at Pats8. We mostly know him as the Channel Chief at Datto. And Rob, I don't know if you remember this, but I met you all the way back in 2015, or was it 2016? You were down here in Florida at a uh, Channel Con from CompTIA the year that Peyton Manning showed up. Oh, yes. Okay. Absolutely. I remember um, uh, that event because they had him as, as the keynote. Right. And uh, I got an opportunity to go backstage and meet him. Um, and I can't remember why, but I was in a really bad mood. I'm not sure why. <laughs> but I remember going up and finally it was my chance to meet him. And I walked up to, to shake his hand. And the man's hands are massive. Like it was like shaking hands with a tennis racket. That's what I remember about it specifically. Yeah. He's, it was, uh, it was, I mean, it was, I think it was one of his first keynotes. It was slightly like right after his retirement. It was the first big one that I remember after his retirement. And it was, it was interesting to see him talk about himself in a way that was honest, open, um, not self deprecating, but understanding the weaknesses that he had that people would call out you know, about, you know, not being able to throw late in the years, not being able to throw the spiral, but all that stuff he overcame to get to where he was and, and all the hard work and stuff. So it was a very interesting speech, not unlike some of the speeches you give, my friend. <laughs> They're definitely not about winning championships, that's for sure. But yes, I mean, I like to, I, I use the expression that if I can't educate, at least entertain. So you know, I like to go about the presentations that I do with some level of um, interest, entertainment, lighthearted, but educational, right? And, and taking things and kind of like bringing clarity, maybe something that's a little bit complicated, bringing clarity. It's like, you know, I, I have um, the opportunity to, to talk to tens of thousands of MSPs every single year through my job worldwide. And uh, what I want to do is leverage that experience, like, what's working, what's not working, and where can I condense that into a message so that I can bring that to the whole channel? That's that's what I get most excited about, and that's what uh, you know I try to incorporate into every presentation that I do is just a little bit of that experience so somebody's walking away with something, even if they're not interested in the company or the product that I, that I work for. All right. So let's get, some, let's get some crap out of the way first because I know people are going to be like, oh, what's the most – you know, important thing that has happened and blah, blah, blah. So let me just ask you, and you can tell me, what are probably the most asked questions that you're tired of answering now that you've made this decision? Are we talking like career-wide or are we talking <laughs> about just in the last couple of months? Uh, 
Well, let's 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 do the last couple of months and then we'll see how it goes. You know, I don't get tired of 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 answering anything. I, I, I'll be honest, like I um, I'm pretty transparent with everything that I do. And I think we have to be transparent, especially if we're you know serving this community we call managed services. There needs to be that that level of transparency as to what uh, what's what's happening. And I've always been I've always been brutally honest uh, when it comes to those types of things. So. You know, it's not so much that I um, get tired of answering questions. I will tell you, I will tell you one thing, actually. So there is this thing at PAX 8 that at, uh, every time you're new, like when you're new, you have to come up with an interesting fact about yourself. And unfortunately, it's happening in every single meeting because now they're introducing me to all the internal teams. So now every time I'm on a call, it's like, what's your interesting fact? I'm not, I don't have like a, a Rolodex of interesting facts about me. As a matter of fact, a pretty boring individual. So, but I also hate repeating myself. So now I'm kind of, I'm kind of like at the point where I'm going to have to start making stuff up. And uh, that's what I'm, I am tired of is talking about, you know, what's your interesting facts? What's your weird fact? You know, that kind of stuff. <laughs> what's uh, one thing about you that most people don't know that type of yeah, thing. So yeah, exactly. Well, I just, I just don't have enough of, of them to be able to share. It's not that I'm not willing to, I just don't have enough interesting things about them. Well, have you talked about your love of chickens? I have no love of chickens, Marv. <laughs> this is, you know what? This, this is, I had a conversation at an event once about, I do have seven chickens and uh, I, I have these, they don't have names. They don't wear clothes. I don't like, don't care much about them. I take care of them. I made sure they're fed and watered and they produce eggs. That's it. It's a, it's a cycle. It's just this thing. It's they, a hobby. they serve a purpose, right? But then all of a sudden, I become the chicken guy of the <laughs> channel, and I'm like, "What is going on?" The funny thing is, there's a an old friend of mine, uh, an MSP, who comes up to me, and it became this theme for this one event. Every every time I was on stage, it was the chicken guy, and uh, uh, this MSP comes over to me and he goes, "You know, I actually have a chicken farm. I got thirty thousand chickens." But I'm not going to tell anybody that because I don't want anybody taking that chicken guy tag and putting that on me. So, yeah, no, I don't have a love for chickens. I'll eat a chicken. I'll eat an egg. But there is no love. Oh, fun stuff. Fun stuff. Well, why don't we do this? Let's at least do a quick question about, you know, I talked about when I first met you, that was kind of the pivoting moment in my career when I took my business from this little break fix, uh, referral. Um, we used, uh, what's the, the attorney's term, um, retainer. Okay. retainer yeah. yeah. That's what I would do with my, my attorney clients. They would pay a retainer and I fell into the world of managed services and started to make that change and stuff. Now you probably are considered at least from what I have heard and talked about with people, one of the most passionate people for MSPs in our space. Yeah. But that's not something that you started with. You started off wanting to be a banker. I was a banker. I was a <laughs> banker. Well, so, so it's this whole thing, right? I, I, uh, I grew up in, in Canada. Um, my parents were, were very British. My grandparents were very British. I was first generation Canadian. Now, in England, and it's still true to this day, that um, a career in banking is a very solid, respectable career. And it's something that is kind of, it's elevated. They still have somewhat of a class structure uh, going on there. And, you know, my my grandparents were very simple people. My parents were very simple people. And uh, all of a sudden, I get a job at a bank as a teller. And uh, when I'm 15 years old, and all of a sudden, they're like, this is like the greatest career ever. So you know, I, I, it was fun. It was interesting. I was young. I was moving up the ranks. Uh, you know, I, I started as a teller. I, I you know, at, at the ripe old age of 18 was lending money, mortgages and loans and got into the investment side of the house and just started really growing my career there. Um, and then, yeah, I just came to the realization that yeah, you got great job security doing these things, um, but it's pretty boring. Uh, and, and really you're never going to get rich doing it. You're going to have a solid job, but you're not really going to get that rich. So I, I made the change to, um, to it. It's an interesting story. Um, there's a, a, 
there's a kid, uh, I call him a kid. He's, he's an adult now, but he, he came to me and we were, we were, so being as young as I was in banking in the nineties, you know, I was the first one to train people when I was a, a teenager on how to use ATMs. Cause the old biddies that worked at the bar, worked at the bank, weren't going to go and show them how, show people how to use ATMs because it was going to replace them. So they were terrified of this technology. I'm 15. I don't care. I'll take people out and show them how to use an ATM. I'm not worried about losing my job. So then that led to telephone banking, which led to the first internet banking. And it was, it was a cool job because um, it was the first time where you could actually go online and check the balance of your account. Maybe you could transfer between two accounts. That's it. That's mm-hmm. all you could do online. And you had to get a series of 12 discs in the mail in order to be able just to do that. So, you know, I was one of the first people uh, in Canada doing that. Um, And I had, you know, I had to hire because it was obviously taking off. And this kid comes by and I'm interviewing him and I'm looking at his resume and he's two years in this industry and two years in this industry and two years in this industry. And he comes across my desk and he says to me, he says, I'm going to work for you for two years. And I'm like, why two years? And he goes, um, I'm, tr- I, I don't know what I want to do for the rest of my life. So I'm, I'm giving everybody two years before I figure out what I want to do for the rest of my life. And I'm like, I got this kid. I'm going to get him to be a banker for the rest of his life. So I hired him because I'm going to convince him two years comes up. Guy quits. I'm like, dude, I was going to convince you that banking was this choice. It was the career. And he's like, no, it's just not for me. I'm off to go and try it. So he actually got a job over at Compact Computers. He called me up probably about three weeks later and said, you're one of the best managers that I ever worked for. Compaq is hiring for a sales manager. And I'm like, I know nothing about IT. And he's like, I don't care. They're looking for a good sales manager. If you're interested, I'll put your resume in. I went over for an interview on a Lark, realized that I was going to do the same job managing the same amount of people, but for double the money. And I'm like, no brainer. Let's go work in IT. And I remember my first day at Compaq, I had this team looking at me and they're like, you know, I'm asking them, what do we do here? And they're like, we sell desktop servers and and laptops. And I'm like, what's a server? And they're like, who the hell hired this guy? (laughs) (laughs) Don't you know your DOS 622 disk? Come on. (laughs) So I cut my teeth back in the day selling ML380s and, you know, the the Compaq mobile devices. Presarios. Yeah, yeah, it was awesome. It was a it was a beautiful company to work for and a great company to kind of cut your teeth on. What did your parents say when you made the switch? They didn't get it. They really didn't get it. My grand I still remember my grandfather on his deathbed. He's like uh he's like, you know, you made me proud sticking it through with the bank. And I'm like, you know, grandpa, I'm in I'm in IT now. And he goes, I don't know what that is, but good luck with your banking career. <laughs> oh my. Oh, goodness gracious. Well, as we start to transition into Tech Talk here, I do want to acknowledge we've got some people in the chat here, uh, including the great Diana Giles and Jerry Kutavis, who are talking about stuff that shouldn't be announced on a live podcast uh, at the poker table, but that'll be another time. Uh, Thank you all for listening. As I mentioned, this is the weekly live show. We stream to Facebook, LinkedIn, and the YouTube And for all things that you want to know about the IT Business Podcast, head over to a simple website, theitbusinesspodcast.com, and you can see where you can follow the show, hear past episodes, and do all sorts of good stuff. Now, if you find any of this stuff helpful and you want to support us, you can be like our sponsors, our presenting sponsor, NetAlly, your ally In the channel for all things network diagnostics, they produce some of the best handheld tools, everything from the Link Sprinter 300 up to the Etherscope NHG that can help you diagnose, test, design, and do all that stuff with your networks better, smarter, and faster. Head over to netally.com. And our live stream is brought to you by Computers Done Right, managed service provider here in Southwest Florida. Not only do they do great managed services, they can also help with your website and social media stuff for all things that you need done. Get computers done right. All right, let's move into some good stuff. Just checking the chat here to see what else comes up. Blue Star Mortgage. Yeah, it's Keith reminiscing about his old banking days. I, I, 
want to relate to him. I want to think Keith is older than me, but I think we're about the same age. <laughs> He's more reminiscing about his Dallas Cowboys and the Blue Star. <laughs> always, always. All right. So let me ask this. This will be the last horrible question. But what was life like after you made the announcement? I assume that during your walkabout or sabbatical or whatever you called it, that you know you kind of hunkered down, ignored all the messages. You know, I'm, I would get a little tweet back every now and then. Still here, no decision. <laughs> but uh, how's it been since the decision was made? It's been it's been absolutely amazing. It's been overwhelming, actually. It's been it's been immensely overwhelming. And it's funny because um, you know, I take great pride in my relationship with the channel. I'm I'm immensely humbled by the amount of attention I get. I don't know why I get as much attention as I do because I, you know, you want to talk about imposter syndrome, what everybody talks about. I'm a I'm a I'm an idiot, yeah, but for some reason, uh people just like me. And I guess I, I I'm relatable, but you know, and I'll just continue doing what it is that I do. Um, because people stop and listen. I don't know why, but people stop and listen and I really enjoy doing it. So, so the reaction, um, was immensely overwhelming from a very positive perspective. I read every comment. I tried to reply to every comment. Um, I obviously got a number of text messages. Um, it was, I, I, I think I, I heard somewhere that I was actually trending on LinkedIn for a little while there, yeah. which is absolutely amazing considering, um, our little pocket of IT and this little part of our world. Uh, so, you know, that for me is um, so flattering. I'm, I'm so overwhelmingly blessed by working for such an amazing channel with such thousands and thousands of amazing people. And it is, it's a family. And, you know, you know, you and I have hung around a couple of times together. And I know that if I ever need anything, I can call you and, and vice versa. And, you know, there's thousands of relationships like that in this channel. So, you know, I um, I was hoping it was going to be newsworthy, and and I'm I'm glad that I'm glad that it's finally done uh, because I was I was getting a lot of questions. Uh, where are you going? When are you announcing? What are you doing? Um, I was obviously getting a lot of of opportunities from some really really good companies, and you know it's funny because you know I left Datto after close to ten years of working there, um, and was trying to figure out what was next. And the easy thing, what I was thinking was to trying to find the next, the next data, like what is the next company that I can take from not startup, but like startup plus one into the realm that data was, um, you know, you get experience working with venture capitalists and private equities and, and going public and then going private again. So you gain all this experience and, and, you know, where could I bring that? What's the next great product? What's the next great thing? What's the next great, great trend? for us in the managed services space. Um, and then all of a sudden, like some really cool opportunities came, some service companies came about, some, some media companies came about, some, some consultants came about some, even some, I even got offers from private equities and VCs as, as consultations. So, you know, some really interesting kind of out of the box stuff started coming down. Um, but then ultimately at the end of the day, I want to, I want to be as close as I can to the MSPs. I want to be able to work uh, hand in hand and, and be there for the MSPs as much as I possibly can. And at the end of the day, PAX 8 was the best opportunity to do that because they just, they really do care about the MSPs. They were born in the managed services space. They're all, you know, very well known in the MSP space. They're investing tons of money uh, in the MSP space. And they wanted me there to do nothing but what I have been doing and what I'm passionate about and what I love doing. So at the end of the day, it really was a, uh, was a no brainer for me. So it seems as though Pax8 is on that precipice that Datto seemed to be because Datto, when it started was, you know, a startup that was doing quite well yep. and needed that spark, which I think was you. Yeah, I could be wrong, but that's kind of my opinion there. And it seems like Pax8 was starting to hit a little plateau, but you could see there's an opportunity there for Pax8 to be, and I mean, I'll say this, I can see them being the Amazon of the channel. Yeah. Uh, I, 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 would, I would argue that it wasn't a plateau because in my mind, and you know, I've had this conversation with Nick uh, Hetty and, and John Street and Ryan Walsh, was I don't know why you're calling me because – Pax8's everywhere and it's doing everything and it is growing like mad. 
Um, and it seems like everybody is happy. Uh, partners are, are happy. Uh, the, the staff are happy. Like everybody just seems happy. And I don't think it's a plateau per se. I think, Mark, we just get to this point where, um, and I, I ran into this with Datto. We've been around long enough that everybody walks in the room and goes, oh, there's Datto. I know what Datto does. Meanwhile, we were expanding into many, many different services with the Autotask acquisition and, and RMM there. And we were investing quite a bit into, into future state cloud-based RMM. We're getting into SaaS protection, Azure backup, all these things. But nobody's coming and talking to us because... I've already, I've already, I know data. I saw the pitch, you know, I, I get them, I use them, you know, what do I need to talk to them about? And I think, you know, Paxate's done this awesome job of getting out and everybody knows who they are. But the thing is though, they're so diversified on the services that they actually offer and the product set that they actually offer that it's getting to the point where a lot of people aren't talking to us anymore because they'll walk in a room and, and, and I get it. Look, it's a, it's an MSP thing. If you go to a trade show and there's a hundred vendors there, and you have the chance to talk to five because of, of time constraints, you're going to go and talk to the five that aren't in your stack or something you don't know anything about or a, a new technology, like super interesting, as opposed to going and talking to the vendors that you're already working with to see what's new over there. So, you know, I think it's, I think it's a condition more of that as opposed to a plateau, because if you look at their revenue generation, they have definitely not plateaued. If you look at the amount of services and products that they're offering uh, these days, it's significant. It's growing significantly. I just don't think the message is getting out. And I think that's part of the reason why um, Nick wanted to bring me on board was just to continue that. Hey, let's let's continue the momentum that we've got and let's continue to build all these services that we've got to help our partners grow. Could there be this misnomer? And I'll use myself in as, as an example. So unofficially or officially, I'm a Pax8 partner, and I have been for years, I think since the end of 2016. I have never purchased anything through Pax8. Part of the reason is because when it, when it came for me to look at what was offered and the stuff that I used, the margins weren't any different. They were basically the same. So I couldn't see a reason for me to make a switch because the only advantage at that time was, well, you have a single portal for purchase. I'm like, I don't need a single portal for purchase. That's no big deal. So I've not had very many conversations with Pax8 since, although I did get an email today of my new, uh, my new account manager. I don't know if you sicked him on me or not, but <laughs> I got that today. Not at, all. not at all. I'm terrified you're going to ask me a question. I've been there. For five days, Marvin, don't ask me the question of what the, what value does Pax8 bring? No, but I just, in, in terms of the perception, like you said, yes, everybody knows Pax8. We, we, we know the wingman stuff. We know, you know, they're going to try to compete with Datto for best, you know, vendor at a conference and stuff. And you're right. We're going to go to vendors we don't know. So is it is it something about trying to get reengaged in the community? I don't think it's necessarily re-engaged because again, if you know, you're, I think you're somewhat of a unique entity from the perspective that you signed up and haven't talked about it since, because there are a lot of advantages. And, and again, I've only been there for a couple of days, so I'm just learning the, 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 the value add for the average MSP, but you know, um, single billing, you know, single support, those kinds of things are, are a few huge advantages. And I think that if you actually just took a moment, Marvin, you'd probably see, the reason why there's 15,000 MSPs worldwide that are using this service day in and day out. That's not just people that have signed up and aren't using it like yourself. Those are people that are utilizing it every day. Um, I did a lot of research before I joined Pax8. I talked to a lot of MSPs, ones that love them and ones that don't love them, um, and asked those those pointed questions. You know, what is it that you love about them? Why, you know, why is it that you do business with them? Um, and uh, I, I found really really couldn't find anybody that had a lot of negative negative things to say so so in my mind you know that's that was the same thing i did when i joined data um i think that uh again it's it's the problem that we all have they're expanding the services that they offer uh with this with the c-level um rex frank's organization with the c-level acquisition they now have like an entire arm of professional services and training and 
uh, peer groups and all those types of things to be able to help MSPs grow their businesses. I mean, it's a significant part of the business. And a lot of it is done at extremely affordable, if not free rates to help MSPs, again, grow their businesses. And you got tons of people on that team, like like Rex Frank and Jeremy Nelson and 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 David that are all cutting shaft and they were all, you know, consulting with the with the channel day in and day out. Why would you know, why would they want to do that? Why would Pax8 want to do that? And it's just simply, again, to help the MSP channel grow. So ultimately, you'll consume more services from them in particular. Um, on top of that, you know, you look at individuals like Matt Lee, who I think is on this call. Shocked if he wasn't. Yep, he um, is. <laughs> but, you know, Matt's running around talking about security and what Pax8 is doing from a security perspective. Like, there's there's some massive opportunities to engage with the channel. So I don't know if it's necessarily a re-engagement would be the right word, but let's talk about enhancing or 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 talking about that engagement more and more. And I think I can help there. Okay. So I will uh, bring up a couple of quick comments from the chat that may help. Uh, Keith writes, I see Pax8 as a labor savings play. The margin in commodity sales is always slim. Pax8 saves time on purchasing, building support. And then Eric writes, I see part of the value of Pax8 that it allows partners to buy the way they want rather than follow some of the crazy contract terms from vendors. Now that I have heard. But you're not using them. Because I don't have crazy contract terms either. So I'm, I'm not stuck. All of my contracts are month to month except for two that I just recently did, which one is active track. I mean, that's, you know, if Pax8 is selling active track, I didn't know it. That's, but you, you've got to admit, and, and, you know, it's a hot topic on all the Reddit feeds right now is, is contract terms and vendors yes. being MSP friendly. Are, do you, look, I'm spinning this back on you. Do Go you ahead. select vendors based on friendly contract terms? Like in your, in your stack rank of choosing a vendor, where does friendly contract terms come up? Is that number one? Is it number 10? I would say it is probably top five. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't say it's number one. Uh, because if I select the right vendor, if I select the right product for my client, I'm not going to have to worry about the contract. Because I'll either have the contract with the client that they know yeah. that, look, if, you know, if you want to quit early, we are on the hook for this. I mean, we're doing the same thing with 365 right now. So it can be done. The problem is, is I think if it's a three-year deal and I find out in month three that it sucks, I want a way out. But there are vendors that provide that for us. And so I think if – here's the thing. A lot of the things that we do in this space aren't very different from each other. I I mean, so it is a matter of how do I feel about it? Is it going to save me money? Is it going to save me time? Hmm. And there's a lot of times, look, I haven't switched here. Okay. For example, uh, enable that's who I use for my RMM, Uh, my patching, my antivirus. I haven't moved from them when probably half the channel did because they work for me. And Moving to another provider, at least in the last couple of years, wasn't going to save me much money. So I wasn't going to spend the time to make that change because it worked for me. Now, they just array, uh, they just announced, I don't know, 9% price increase, but everybody's announcing an increase. Synchro had an increase back in November. I know uh, Autotask and RMM have had increases. So, I mean, everybody's increasing money. So you got to find the partner that works for you. And I, the chat just lit up. I know. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my goodness gracious. So let's look at it from, let me ask you a question from this perspective, because I know that MSPs, when they're looking at vendors to choose and, you know, there's a huge market that it's all about the price. I just, I don't want to be, you know, I want to, you know, be charged as little as possible so I can make as much as possible. I don't look at it that way. I look at it as, you know, what's best for me and my client to support their networks, to keep them safe and to help them make money and stay with me for as long as they can. Most of my clients have been with me, well, 10 plus years because I've got some that are low, 
But my oldest client, 25 years. And I'm losing one now only because they got absorbed by another company. And they were fighting to try to find a way to keep me. So that's what I want out of my clients. But in terms of from a vendor perspective, what do you see as a prototypical MSP that you would want to partner with? So I, I'm i going to disagree with you that to a certain extent, price does not even come into the conversation, right? And And there's a certain level of maturity that our market and the managed service providers have. We've kind of grown up over the last 10 years, I would say, probably even a little bit longer than that, where... You know, it used to be so. So, I mean, you talk about like you were you were a reseller at one point in time, right? right? And when we were when we were, and I was on the vendor side of that reseller relationship when I worked for for Compaq and then and HP for a little bit. Um, so this is all pre managed services, and in that world, you fought for scraps. Like you tried to get the best margin on hardware that you possibly could, and that meant whether it was reselling Compaq or IBM or HP or Dell, like you would go and find who's going to give me the best margin. And that's who you would go and sell. Loyalty wasn't a thing. Loyalty wasn't a thing from the vendor perspective either. I'll tell you, Marvin, one of the first things that I learned when I got into IT, somebody came over to me and said, we sell to resellers. And I thought immediately that's some derogatory term for these people that are out selling IT. And and, then because I just felt like reseller just felt and screams like middleman. So, you know, there was this almost um, disdain for, for, for the channel from that perspective. And it was like, don't trust them. They will shop your, your, they'll shop your margin around. They'll shop your deal around. They will take the best, cheapest product, you know, that kind of thing. There was no relationship back then. So, you know, for, for me, over the course of what managed services, what I feel like managed services did was it kind of gave us this restart where we could figure out how we can all kind of work together on this stuff. And there's still there's still crappy vendors that are out there, but you've got to admit that there's better vendors now from a relationship standpoint than there ever has been in the IT channel. And I'm talking about the relationship between those that are, are producing the products and services to those that are actually delivering the products and services, which would be the vendors in this space and the MSPs in this space. So I think that you know price is important, margin is is important, but at the same time, I think we're we're getting smarter and better. That it's not, it's not always about, you know, I'm going to make an extra penny over here. Um, instead, there's other conversations like, what's the innovation going to look like? What's the, what's, look at the, we, we just had a conversation about contract terms. How MSP friendly are they? Um, you know, where, where is this market going and what is this vendor going to do for that? Um, Security is a big part of the conversation. If you had, you know, would you want to go with an organization that invests in securing its own products or an organization that has never invested in securing its products? This one's going to be a little more expensive. You mentioned um, Synchro increasing its price. Synchro's increasing its price because it's ready to take the next leap as an RMM vendor to do a lot more around support and innovation of the actual product. They just need more money to do that. So, you know, this is where you can you can justify and kind of mitigate why somebody would increase their price and why the price conversation, you know, if, if you look at the average MSP, like what are the top things? Innovation of the product, account management, relationship. You know, sometimes you can get that money back and even MDF funds. Uh, you know, so there's other ways of mitigating price, if that makes any sense. It does. It does. Because I, I use that argument with my clients all the time. It's not yeah. about price. It's about sure. the value and it's about the support. And Listen, they have no problems raising their price when they do stuff. And I work with attorneys, so they do it all the time. Yep. But then they always want to push back when I have to raise my price. You know, I had an attorney that he would always say, Mavi, I got to eat. And I'm like, so do I. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to eat at McDonald's just because you want to go eat at Ruth Chris. Come on, let's, let's be reasonable yep. here. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, I understand that. And, you know, price is not the motivator, but we still have an industry where the consumers, the end users still push back on price because they don't get it. You know, they think that the commoditization of tech should, you know, transcend everything, including support. So we still have to educate them. And then we still have those that have not grown up with us. And when I say with us, because, you know, back in 2012, 
You know, I wasn't doing MSP services. I was doing remote and being cheap like everybody else. And then I realized I can't do that. So here I am now and I'm stuck. I consider myself stuck in the middle because I relate to those. But then I also know, you know, to be a nice MSP, you got to do these things and work with these vendors. So that's kind of where I, I get stuck on both sides. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I can understand that. And this is still a journey that, that we're all on. Um, as, as mature as the, as this, the, the U S or the North American market around managed services is there's still, it's still a journey, but I'm telling you, like I built, I've built my entire career based on relationships and, you know, people like to do business with people they like and that they can rely on and that they can call when, you know, when things, uh, go sideways, you know, that's, that's, I think there's some value there in regards to price. And I think you can mitigate that with the end users. We're kind of at this, at this moment here where, where MSPs are having to go back to their end users and charge more than ever before, especially now that we're adding more and more security uh, vendors to the stacks. So this is not just a problem that vendors have in relationships with MSPs. This is a problem that MSPs are going to have in relationships with their end users. We're all going to figure this out. We're all going to make more money at the end of the day um, it's just going to take some time. It's going to take some pain and nobody wants to hear, um, you're too expensive because you know, Marvin, there are, there, how many guys in your market that could go to every single one of your customers and offer a cheaper price? You're not the cheapest person. Oh, in your I'm market. not even close. Guarantee that. Yeah. I fight so, that all the time. Guys come in and want to, you know, oh, we can do that at half the price. And my client's mm-hmm. like, really? Can you, so, can you do this, this, and this? Well, we can only provide you support from 10 a.m. to 12 noon (laughs) on a Tuesday (laughs) out of India. Yeah. 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 So let me circle back because you made a point there about relationships and it goes back to the question that you asked earlier about, you know, how in the world did you get so popular? And I think the reason is the conversation that you and I are having right now is a very real, honest conversation. I do think that because you didn't, start out in tech, you probably know how to dumb it down for the people that aren't techie, but you know enough to really dig in the weeds with the rest of us. Um, You're not afraid to be blunt and talk truth. And that's what we need in this industry. Is that fair? That's fair. But I'm also very respectful of, of what it is that we do. You know, blunt sometimes comes across as 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 fairly arrogant. We have enough arrogant people in our space. I'm very humble with what it is. I, blunt isn't the word I would use. I would say, you know, I like to go in the dark corners that people tend not to want to go into. Um, you know, the let's let's talk about the things that keep you up at night. People tend to avoid and want to avoid, especially in the IT space, want to avoid those conversations. Um, you know, I'll I'll give you a perfect example. We we talk about this. Um, a lot where MSPs, especially the business owners for MSPs became kind of accidental entrepreneurs. Um, and you know, they, they didn't necessarily want to run a business and deal with HR and payroll and, and all these, and, and the people aspect of it. They just want to run an IT shop. They just want to, you know, play around with tech. Um, my wife started a business, uh, just before the pandemic. She's, she's an interior decorator. And she decided to do this on her own and start her own business. So all of a sudden the business is growing. She has no idea what to price it. Um, she has no idea how to, how to generate recurring revenue. She has no idea uh, what accountant to use, what lawyer to use, how to register the business, how to you know price her services, how to go to market with it, how to, price, how to sell it and market it. Then she starts hiring people because she's growing like crazy, but she doesn't know how. And then all of a sudden it's like, it's so, it's such a conversation. It's so similar to that of, of an MSP. Because it's not the MSP or the interior decorator. It's all the other crap that we have to manage around it. You know, a lot of vendors talk about, especially when it comes to vendor management, we talk about the vendors that are in your stack and we talk about 12 to 14 vendors that you have to work with. When you actually add in how many vendors that an MSP has to work with beyond the tech in their stack, it's actually about like 35 because you have payroll vendors and accounting software and all this other crap that you have to deal with on top of, Hey, I just wanted to, I just wanted to play around with tech all day. So, you know, I'm immensely respectful of that. So, so I think Marvin, I kind of come at it uh, from a different approach. I watch vendors talk to MSPs 
about speeds and feeds on technology. And I get it. You, you, you know, we're nerds, we're geeks. We want to know the speeds and feeds of technology, but I can get you those. You know, I can get you those in a demo. I can get you those in a, in a, in a white paper, a, a YouTube video, whatever. That's easy. The difficult part is how do I price this? What do I say to my, what do I say to my end user when I'm telling them I have to increase their price? What do I say, you know, like, what do I say when I have to now add these new EDR services in that they've never paid for before? And how are they going to understand it? And the reason, you know, I I say dumb it down um, because what happens is MSPs also have a tendency to complicate the conversation with their end users. And end users, I, I actually relate probably more to how an end user is than to how an MSP works, which means... If an MSP comes to me and says, hey, I'm going to sell you this and this and this, and I'm going to give you all these feeds and feeds, and I'm going to show you a beautiful report coming out of rapid fire tools. I'm like, dude, I, I don't get it. Like, just leave this. You know, I, I'm not I don't understand. So it's that translation of here's what you're going to say. Here's what they're going to respond with. Here's how you overcome that objection. That's kind of in my mind the way I kind of tackle it. So so <clears throat> a lot of the value add is me just more or more or less trying to translate more than anything else. Um, and and I, I agree, like, there's nothing I can teach you about tech, Marvin. Like, you're, you're and every MSP is going to know more about tech than I do. I'm not passionate about tech. I don't understand tech. Austin McCord used to yell at me for months on end because there was a data device sitting on my desk and I didn't even know how to turn it on. And he's like, you sell this crap every single day. And I'm like, I don't need to know how to turn it on. The, the MSPs know how to turn it on. What I need to do is teach the MSPs how to sell it to an end user. That's the part that they're missing. That's the part where I can help. And that's where I've kind of translated that in. Um, I have been absolutely passionate about this MSP space since day one, because I knew, you know, this was our little dark, it was at at one point, it was our little dark corner of the channel. And we were going to sit here and we were going to be happy and nobody was going to bother us. And the odd time a big vendor would come down and scoop up a, a vendor in our space and then run off with them and start selling them an enterprise. But we were all kind of like still just here doing our own thing. And then we started getting good at it and we started making money at it. And then all of a sudden the VCs and the yep. PEs started paying attention. And then all of a sudden acquisitions started happening. Merger started happening. MSP started merging. We have telcos coming in trying to buy MSPs. You know, we have print dealers trying to figure out how they're going to stay relevant as time goes on. You know, we've got we've got the larger vendors that are coming down. And instead of scooping up these technologies to take up market, they're staying here because, you know, I I belong um, to some executive peer groups uh, for for IT go to market people, channel chiefs. And um, I have there's very large enterprise IT vendors that come to me. I'm, I'm the managed services whisperer in the in these circles. And they come to me and they say, how do I sell to MSPs? Because right now, like never before, I'm calling and we're calling into these end users and these end users more and more are turning to us going, I'm not working with you. I use a managed service provider. Call them. And then, of course, this vendor calls the MSP and the MSP goes, you don't have a channel program. You sell direct. You don't care about me. I have my own technology. Don't worry about it. I got this taken care of. Have a nice day. So these these vendors are like, how do I sell to these MSPs? And I'm like, very simple. Let them sell their brand because it's not your brand. You're just one member of a stack and you got to give them tons of margin. And they're like, no. And I'm like, well, then you're never going to sell through the MSPs, right? So there is this battle right now that I'm seeing, and it's more than ever before. And actually, while I was off uh, work there for the few months, I did some consulting, and it was mostly for private equities and VCs that want to put their money into the MSP space, and they're trying to figure out how to do it. There is still billions, Marvin, billions. Oh, yeah. When you and I... When you and I first started talking, when, 2015, did you ever imagine the billions of the investment dollars coming into our space? No, not a clue. Absolutely not. Not even close. No. No? And here's the thing. So I just, was it last week? I I just talked about a vendor and who's, they're a part of our space, Splashtop, because they're used in some of the RMM tools and some of the vendors that wanted to try to get in and have MSPs sell their platform. 
And that was the middle of last year. And now they're out. And I don't know what happened or what. And here's the thing. I don't know why they wanted to get in because they had a pretty good stronghold with selling their product already. So then they get in. I don't know why they got out. And it is a weird thing right now. So a lot of people, yes, they're dipping their toe in probably because there's money. Yep. And how do we get our piece? Yep. And we're thinking, listen, don't come in here and muddy the waters. Yeah. I think there's a, there's some of that in there. Um, it's funny there, cause there are vendors that come and try to get into this MSP space and, and, uh, you know, and I do run into them. Um, and actually, you know, when a lot of my peers get hired by these companies, because all of a sudden this company who has had some success selling direct or maybe into the enterprise reseller market and now, or telco, uh, like master agents and agents. And, and now all of a sudden they want to get into the MSP space. My, my advice to them is always, you've got to give it two years. And I saw this firsthand um, when I started working at Level Platforms. This is way back in the day. Um, you know, I would go to this peer group meeting and no one would talk to me. No one would pay any attention to me. Everybody would just kind of like walk by me. And then, you know, but I kept going. It was a quarterly meeting and I kept going and I kept going and I kept going for two years before finally somebody stopped and talked to me. Like they just didn't even want to, they didn't even want to have a conversation with me. And it's, it's a condition of our, of our place because what happens is we've been burnt before and there is nothing worse, Marvin, than me coming to you as a brand new vendor. I got some cool tech. I sell it to you. You go to your end user and sell it to your end user. And then three months later, I send you a note going, you know what? This isn't working. I'm going to take off and go back to enterprise. So long. And now you got to A, get out of your contract. B, figure out what the hell you're going to do with this tech. C, you got to go back to your end user and explain why you screwed up on, on this brand new vendor that you thought was going to be super cool and resell them something else. And then all of a sudden that, in, that that ruins the relationship that you have with this. Unfortunately, we saw that too many times. And I'm sure in your head right now, you're probably rhyming off all the oh, vendors yeah. <laughs> that just closed up in the middle of the night, no warning. And who's holding the bag? The MSPs. Yep. So, so I learned very early in this, you got to be around and you got to be around for a while. It's the, uh, it's the Zig Ziglar you know, analogy. Nobody wants to be first in line. Nobody wants to be last in line, but nobody wants to be first in line. And you have to figure out how to create that relationship and show the channel that you're serious about it. We're going to be around forever. We've got this investment. Um, you know, we've been here. We're going to continue to be here. We're going to continue to invest. So when vendors come to me and say, I want to get into the managed services market, I'm going to say, you're going to lose money for two years. And then all of a sudden, people will start trusting you because it's about consistency and it's about messaging. Nobody wants to be first in line. And you know, we've been burnt and burnt by that in the past. And I think that's part of the reason why there's this difficulty in getting into our space. We're finicky people. Yeah, we are. Space. We are. And uh, a quick little note. So we do have somebody in the green room that is keeping us on track. And of course, I mentioned Splash Top. And it is, <laughs> I don't know if you knew this, Rob, but Splash Top is scheduled to go live on your platform at the end of March. Awesome. So, I did not know that. <laughs> <laughs> so things you can learn while you're here. And another thing I'll to note, you mentioned level platforms. I wasn't going to bring that up, except I will bring it up now and ask you, did you know that if you go to chat GPT and ask about Rob Ray, no, it says that you were the founder of level platforms. I definitely was not. <laughs> Founder level platforms was a gentleman by the name of Peter Sanford, who's still kicking around the MSP space every every once in a while. I've seen Peter pop up. It definitely was not the founder of of level platforms. That's why you can't trust Chat GPT. <laughs> <laughs> it's a cool little technology. If I was the founder, I would have done things a little bit differently. You know that organization. If I can, like, I don't get a chance to talk about level too many times because it's it's ten years old now plus. You know, you think about that team, that's Dan Wensley, who's now over at ScalePad. That's, you know, myself. That's Sean Sweeney, who's over at ConnectWise. Uh, you know, Mike Campion was there. He's over, he was at Adagy. He's just moved on to uh, Pia, I think is where he's okay. working for now. 
you know, there's uh, uh, Barry Hall, Marty Lefebvre, Irvish Battiani, Ray Settawans over at ConnectWise, all those guys over with that. That organization, as much as it isn't around anymore, but that was kind of the foundation, like the, that RMM, early days RMM. All those guys that work there are still – Alicia Vetter is still, you know, over at ASCII. They were all still kicking around the channel. It was a nice little feeder company for for all these channel companies now. And think about some of those people have got almost 15, 20 years of managed services experience. Pretty cool. So, so that is interesting you say that. All those people still doing big things in the channel, level platforms, ended up getting bought by AVG. Correct. And they kind of poo-pooed it, I think. No, AVG, AVG then sold it to Avast. And then Avast ended up selling it to Barracuda MSB. Oh, okay. So Barracuda RMM is the old managed workplace, little platform. The AVG workplace. workplace. I remember that. Used it uh, for a couple of months. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Rob, we could go on for quite some time, but uh, I want to save some of this for our post-show chat for those that stay with us. Um, did you prepare for... Florida man or random question? I so I saw it. I didn't know what I needed to prepare, but I'm pretty quick on my feet. So, well, you live up there in the good state of Connecticut. Lisa Vetter just jumped in there. <laughs> I'm happy I mentioned her name. That's right. <laughs> yeah, it's a great podcast now. <laughs> um, so, I mean, you know, Florida man, right? The whole yeah, of course, of course. So the question is, when I started. I don't know how I even started doing this, but it came about as somebody saying there's nobody that can outdo Florida man. And so I put forth this Florida man challenge that each week we would come up with stories. So you would find a local story that happened in your area, but it had to be recent. It couldn't have been like 10 years ago, you know, but like what's happened in the last 48 to 72 hours in your area that could challenge a Florida man story that happened in the last 48 to 72 hours. And just to give you an idea, this happened yesterday. Florida man fatally shoots clerk at Kentucky hotel. So we can't even contain ourselves to the state of Florida. So a Florida man is accused of fatally shooting a clerk at a hotel in Western Kentucky after assaulting two people outside the business who couldn't give him a cigarette lighter. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> um, I, uh, I, I uh, took a trip with some friends uh, during the pandemic out to Napa Valley. And uh, I actually ripped off your idea and I created, I was, I was, I had a, <clears throat> I got in super late from somewhere and I had to leave super early. So going to sleep wasn't the option. So I had about four hours to kill. So I created a PowerPoint deck, stole your idea, and created a PowerPoint deck of Florida Man. Okay. Basically took, again, articles. And then we played this game. Is it or is it from Florida or is it not from Florida? So there is a Connecticut one in there. I, it's not a recent one, but I will give you uh, the one that was from Connecticut was uh, Man Open Fires on Ghost in his own home. Okay, I can see that happening. <laughs> Shooting at a ghost in your own house. Yeah. Sure. All right. All right. Well, that's. I'll. I'll let that story go. I was going to throw out a random question at you, but um, go ahead, man. Let's, let's go, go ahead. Oh, random you're okay. All right. Here we go. Let me get to the random question generator and see what pops up here. And these are anything. So let's see. Here we go. Generate. What part of your body? currently doesn't feel 100%. Okay, so literally you cut out there, whether it's my uh, Wi-Fi. Of course. All I heard is 100% of my body. What, what, Said, what's the question? The question is, what part of your body currently doesn't feel 100%? Jesus, Marvin. Who wants to, who wants to know that? I, like, it's, wants, it's a random question. You know what it is? I'll, I'll, I'll give it to you, my eyes. I, I take great pride. I am over 50 years old. And I've had 20-20 vision up until about three weeks ago. And then all of a sudden, my eyes just seemed to quit. I, I was bragging about it. I was bragging about it. And then all of a sudden, I cannot read a damn thing. Yeah, well, I really you, you see the glasses in my hand, and I was mm-hmm. pretty similar. I don't know if it was 
right before 50 or right after 50. But just on a dime, it just happened. Yep. And it's like so disappointing and so frustrating. But yeah. yeah. So uh, since my internet is being so Comcastic, let's do one quick thing because I wanted to give you the opportunity to talk about some upcoming events for PAX 8 and beyond will be beyond. happening this June in uh, Denver, Colorado, June 11th through the 13th. So quickly tell us what's going to be happening there. So this is PAX 8's first user conference. And I love user conferences more so than, I mean, I, I love conferences, period. I love all the trade shows, but um, con- user conferences tend to be the one where you're going to get the most guts out of out of the vendors that you actually invest quite a bit in. And I remember back in the day, some of the best events that I ever went to were the Ingram Micro and the Cynics and the Tech Data events because the distributors were the ones that kind of covered everything off. Um, and I, I envision that this, and, and by the way, I own this project. So if anybody knows or has been to an event that I have managed, you know that I do it with nothing but class and respect. And I make sure that it's educational. I make sure that it's fun. Um, and I want to create it in a way where you're going to want to keep coming back and coming back and beyond is going to be no different. So we have a thousand MSPs coming to Denver, Colorado, June 11th through the 13th. Uh, it's going to be at the Gaylord. Uh, we have a lot of top vendors that are coming. Um, uh, we're we're going to create uh, this this ecosystem uh, working, and it's exclusively managed service providers. And um, over the years, my goal is to make this the go-to event. And I would love nothing more than if I can get my MSPs to support me out and go and register for Beyond. All right. And uh, ah, there it is. Beautiful. Putting up the website there, pax8beyond.com. We'll have that link in the show notes. And registration is open now. Early registration ends March 31st. And I don't know why your person uh, threw Peyton Manning in there. Is Peyton Manning going to be your keynote speaker? Believe it or not, Peyton Manning is the keynote speaker. <laughs> <laughs> I know we started with Peyton Manning. Oh, now man. we're going to end with Peyton Manning. Understand, understand, okay? So I inherited a lot of things coming into this. Peyton Manning is a phenomenal human being. I'm not a big fan of having sports and athletes guys doing keynotes, but he is he is a great speaker. You you've met him, I've met him. He is uh, phenomenal. But you know, this is also in Denver, Colorado. He's a big Denver. You know, was a big Denver Bronco for a while. So you know, got gotcha. you Super uh, Bowl. It fits. It fits very well into the conference, and he is a great keynote. So, all right. And I just took down the picture. I'll throw it back up there for those that are watching the video, but. Uh, who came up with this design, this um, this <laughs> Independence Day or Star Trek Borg attacking the Earth? <laughs> no, no, no. It's the other way. So what, it's like we're attacking space. We're going beyond oh. Earth 23. The problem is, is that it does look like the laser is coming to Earth, but technically the laser is leaving Earth. Yeah, I know. Scroll <laughs> down a bit. Scroll down a bit. There's a much better picture of – of uh, there it is. Of you. okay why does that picture look like it's from 2014 i i definitely not from 2014 i was about 50 pounds lighter so yeah oh my okay well let us let me get these things off the screen here this is great for live all right so rob i want to thank you uh first of all i didn't think you'd show up or let me, re- let me rephrase that. I didn't think you'd agree to come on the show because I figured there would be so many other big media types that would want to rope you uh, as a first interview after making your announcement. But thank there, you. There is. I love this more. You know that, Marvin. You know that. You know I love doing this way more than I love doing that. This is uh, this is easier and, you know, yeah, it's, we can just, talk, it's more fun. Yeah, we can talk more freely. I don't have attorneys, you know, breathing down my neck. Or anything like that. Uh, so, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for tuning in. If you are watching the live show, uh, hang with us. Uh, we'll do a little post-show after the fact. If you're listening by audio, uh, thank you for downloading and subscribing. And if you are new to the show, head over to itbusinesspodcast.com slash follow. 
Find whatever podcatcher or video thing that you want to subscribe to. We're on just about all of them, and you can be notified when the shows come out either by video or audio. And you just heard a great conversation with my buddy and pal, Rob Tiberius Ray. (laughs) (laughs) I've heard that before, too. So that's going to do it. Uh, again, head over to the website. Uh, go back and listen if you haven't already. Sean Lardo uh, came on and talked about Pitch It last week. I also had a great diversity podcast. And tune in next week as we're going to have one of the uh, finalists for last year's Pitch It Alert Ops, a new vendor in the channel, and we'll learn all about them. So that'll be next week on the live show. And uh, that's going to do it. Thank you all for downloading, subscribing, listening, supporting, all that good stuff. We'll see you next time. And until then, holla.